right on time. For every uh, yeah, for every hour that passes by recording a podcast, forty years goes by in real life. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and this is Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today, we are talking about contact. Hey, Dad. Yeah? Do you think there's people on other planets? I don't know who sparks. But I guess I'd say, if it is just us, it seems like an awful waste of space. This is a sci-fi drama directed by Robert Zemeckis and written by Carl Sagan and and Druyan. The cast includes Jodie Fosterchild, Cooper, James Deep in the Woods, 1996 deep fake Bill Clinton, Gretchen Ross, the bank manager from The Dark Knight, and Larry King. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on Amazon. It was for free. I just had to watch ads, but I have ad blocker, so I didn't have to watch ads. Where do they put the ads when you watch it on Amazon? In the middle of the movie. Oh my gosh. Like it's on TV or something. That's awful. Do they at least put it in like good spots where it makes sense? No, not at all. (laughs) No? But but I didn't have to actually watch any ads. It would just cut off, you know, periodically and then turn back (laughs) back on for, it was like when the screen would go black for five seconds. Oh, that is hilarious. Yes, I also use my ad blocker uh, all the time, but luckily, after I gave them my money, YouTube didn't make me watch any ads, which is which is pretty good. Okay, uh, Joey, go ahead and give us the synopsis for Contact. A woman takes a leap of faith. Yep, that is this two out, two and a half hour long movie in one <laughs> short sentence. Let's get right into it with our pros. Joey, what did you like about this film? Um, I think this movie has an incredible plot that is supported on all sides by the acting, the special effects, the themes, and the tone. It's an incredibly consistent, dramatic, and mind-melting movie that still holds up and will continue to hold up as long as science and religion continue to exist. What about you? I thought this movie was very thought-provoking. The concept of God versus science is definitely an interesting one. I thought at times the the trippy optics were really amazing, especially because this movie is from 1997. Uh, I think there's great acting throughout. And honestly, I think this movie must have inspired Arrival, uh, the the movie Arrival, to some degree because I, I find a lot of similarities in not only the like how thought provoking it is, but also kind of the reverence it has towards the idea of making first contact. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what about uh, some some of the things you don't like? What about those? Well, honestly, the government bureaucrats were doubtful fools to an alarming degree throughout this movie, which I understand is kind of their purpose, right? There wouldn't be much conflict if everyone is on the same page. Uh, But there were definitely some times where I had to roll my eyes and be like, okay, typical government bureaucrats who are, you know. What about like uh, the guy in the military uniform who says, it could be used as a weapon? (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's like, okay, I see who you guys are. Like, this is... It's so stereotypical. What it, you know, it's it's fine. It creates the resistance that we need that makes this a compelling film. But sometimes I just had to roll my eyes at it. And also, Palmer Joss is way too smooth. That's and, a con for you. <laughs> yes, because 
well, I'll get into it a little bit later, but just just for now, I'll just say that Palmer Joust is so smooth that it's a con. Uh, what what <laughs> what did you what did you not like about this film? <laughs> I this is one of my favorite movies ever, and honestly, I don't even want to say any cons at all. But I will give you one. I would say that it is a little melodramatic. There is a lot of kind of it's very very serious the whole time, um, and there's a lot of serious things that happen. Um, which can almost take you out of it, especially today when everything's a little bit more cynical. But um, honestly, I think it really does held up so well. And the intensity of the drama is appropriate for this movie. So, Okay, well, that wraps up our cons. Let's get into our overall section. Joey, take it away. So I really do think this movie um, benefits from having a real synopsis. I know that's not something we normally do to save time, but I really I think a lot of people past in this movie um, and I really want to talk about everything that happens in it so I'm going to give you a quick rundown of what happens um, so yeah you well, you're also a a, uh, <clears throat> a tenured synopsis writer that's because right we, we did used to do synopsis on Apple chat I kind of miss it a little bit only a little bit yeah well why don't you remind us what it was like then <laughs> okay Ellie Arroway is an accomplished astronomer who has dedicated her life to the SETI project the search for an extraterrestrial life Despite many setbacks, years of research, and nagging from her colleague and rival, David Drumlin, Ellie has not given up. One day, while scanning the Vega system, she hears something strange. After verifying, it turns out to be a message from aliens, the very first of its kind. The message is eventually revealed to be planned for some sort of spacecraft made specifically for humans. Everyone in the world is captivated by this development, and the globe unifies um, in an effort to build the machine and send someone through it. The catch is the machine is only big enough for one person, so who would be sent as a representative of humanity? A committee is set up and Ellie is looking to be the favored candidate, but after it is revealed that she does not believe in God, Drumlin, her rival, is selected instead. During a test for the machine, a religious radical sneaks aboard with a bomb and blows the machine up, killing Drumlin, destroying billions of dollars and humanity's chances to reach the stars. However, it is revealed that a second machine was built in private and Ellie is selected to go. When the machine is activated, Ellie is sent through a series of wormholes and sees the beauty of the universe up close. She arrives on a dreamlike beach where she is greeted by her father, who died when she was only nine. Ellie's dad reveals himself to be an alien disguised as Ellie's dad, dead dad for the purposes of easing into first contact. Ellie has many questions, but the alien is vague and only promises that this is the way it's been done for billions of years. Ellie is prom- promptly returned to Earth. There she is told that from the mission control's perspective, the machine had malfunctioned. Ellie never left the machine's area of effect, let alone Earth. Instead, she she had only passed out for a fraction of a second. Ellie swears that her experience is real and admits she may be wrong, but that she believes in what she saw and heard. The rest of the world remains skeptical. Uh, that's that's contact. <laughs> yeah, that is actually contact. And, I, and I, that's contact. That's wh- I mean, that's the tagline of this movie, right? <laughs> and that's contact. <laughs> no, I thought when I, when you first said we were watching contact, I thought it was I made a joke about it being about sports because I could definitely see a movie where they're like, you know, like if you want to get in the game, you got to be comfortable with contact. Mm. And there, right, that, right, got to get up, have cl- a, up and close. Yeah, and they have a great. Uh, sports movie that can also be about aliens, but uh, let's let's keep it on this movie for now. Um, no, I, I'm curious. I've seen this movie many times. What did what did you think of it? What was your overall reaction? Well, honestly, uh, I it felt like too big of a movie for me to uh, understand on one watch through. Like yeah. as soon as I finished, I was like, well, now I have to go back to the beginning because <laughs> it's. Uh, 
Well, it's kind of a journey. It begins as this kind of origin story for a scientist, um, and then it ends up being her being the first person to not only travel through space, but like make contact with aliens, which, again, this movie does a great job of, very similar to Arrival, in creating a mystery around the aliens that makes it a satisfying experience without having to show us anything, really. You know, yeah. it's more in the idea of uh, meeting extraterrestrial life as opposed to like, wow, it has three mouths, you know, sure, something sure. like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's one of the challenges I think this movie really faces is that like the special effects are really good. And I think they hold up even though they're I mean, they're dated. But if they were to solidify what the aliens look like or anything like that. There would have been a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of criticism, like, like oh, the aliens look funky, oh, the aliens do this, or, they're, they're, you know, this is a, a weird vision of what it is. Really, it's kind of the idea of first contact that's really more important. But one of the big criticisms I've seen over the years for this movie is that the aliens in contact are very disappointing, um, which I don't think, which I don't agree with, because I feel like the, the themes of the movie really holds up that that's not the point, really. it's It's really, like, about faith it's really about believing in something so like so completely um to get the effect or the experience from it yeah i I think the cinematography and the directing of this movie really give you the most some of the most iconic and breathtaking sequences in movie history even through our special effects to today um could put this movie to shame there's so much of it just looks amazing and really does draw you in um, I mean, her floating in that capsule, looking out into space and everything, and her like expression and you know reactions to seeing everything and saying, "Oh, it's so beautiful. I wish they had sent a poet instead." It's just, I mean, it really gets you right in the heart. I think. Yeah. No. And like the even the op- the opening of the movie really does grab you with the kind of zooming out of oh yeah, like just zo- continuously zooming out further and further and further, and hearing the audio from different decades which i don't think would have been as clear to me had i not had the uh, uh closed captions on but through having them it would label who's talking so you're like okay these are getting continuously older and older yeah, and yeah. older uh which is pretty cool and and also just giving you something to look at because it's hard to even conceptualize how far you're going because it just can it seemingly goes on and on and on forever oh my gosh it's crazy and i mean that whole that whole sequence that's what i was um the longest um single computer generated sequence in a live action movie um until 2004 wow um, so that was a, a big feat for them but it was i oh thought man, you were gonna I, say it was the longest zoom out in movie history <laughs> <laughs> no that's gotta be like star trek um one of those one of the first Star Trek movies. Oh my gosh, they have such a this slow zoom. It's so it's like twenty minutes of them just zooming in. Uh, yeah, I really like that. I mean, you you can tell you're going back in time, right? You can tell that the the uh, the signals are going back, and then of course that makes perfect sense with um, what they talk about in the movie, where the first um, the first signal that was ever strong enough to make it into space was Hitler announcing the um, uh, the start of the Olympics in 1936. So. That, I mean, that uh, whole thing just kind of ties itself back together. But it also kind of gives you an idea of just like how small we are and everything, which makes sense because that perspective that you see from the outside of the galaxy um, is something that Carl Sagan references in his famous um, Pale Blue Dot uh, essay. So, Well, uh, just staying on the idea of the like how well the sequences are shot in this film, one of the sequences I really enjoyed was the initial discovery of the 
signal from the Vegas system where Ellie was driving the car and barking commands at her two guys who are running around the office and basically talking in pure science jargon. I love the way that they did that because I didn't really understand what they were talking about, but through their like coded language of, you know, the frequency that and, you know, gamma this, it all sounded real. And for me, it was really satisfying to see them all be going, uh, you know, working so hard at this complicated task. I wonder if someone who's actually in the field, if they saw that, if they would be able to Neil deGrasse Tyson it and be like, ah, 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 you know, you wouldn't actually turn that knob. (laughs) But from the perspective of someone who's totally uninformed, it felt intelligent and it felt really real. And it got my heart pounding for some, you know, for pointing a, a, a satellite yeah, yeah. at a star system. So uh, <laughs> I thought that that was really cool. Yeah, I completely agree. Like I, I, I read some of the trivia on the, um, at, on like the Amazon x-ray thing. And one of the things was like, oh, she turns the wrong knob on this machine. That, that knob doesn't turn off the volume, but does this. And it's just like, okay, like <laughs> I, I, I can, I can appreciate like the, the attention to detail for that, but honestly it doesn't matter like what they're saying is not as important as like what they're doing and um i feel like a lot of that is a lot over people's heads and to have that be like very easily translated uh through the directing is um it's also a really good feat i think yeah it, it, it this movie has similar challenges in uh executing this concept as arrival did where mm-hmm. you have something that's not necessarily super interesting to general audiences uh like linguistics and sure. you have to make that into something that you know will get their blood pressure to rise and i think they do that well here just like in arrival oh yeah and i mean jody foster is just incredible in this whole movie um, like the, there's all these kind of shifts that she, her character does and she gives us so much depth to her, to, um, her character of Ellie. Like she's nervous and like this passionate academic, like when she's talking in front of the whole, um, like that committee, she's like constantly clearing her throat and trying to like speak properly and everything. And you can tell that like just how much is getting to her. You can read her expressions very easily and you can kind of follow her thinking like super clearly. And her character does so much from like being, you know, a representative of being the best in her field to being extremely eccentric, um, to having, you know, one half of a love story, to being a stand in for the undervalued woman um, in the science community. Um, and she moves deftly between each hat and completes this, creates a complete picture of Ellie. Uh, one of the things that uh, I read about in this, for this movie is that she actually shadowed a famous um, woman who was a, um, a astronomer. And she, so a lot of that kind of came from real life experience, from at least from someone else, um, and being a woman in that field. So a lot of that is based in reality, which is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. And definitely the undervalued woman. That idea is definitely explored throughout, uh, especially yeah. with her relationship to Drumlin. Right. And I mean, this is another example of like a woman in the STEM field who is very prominent and everything. Um, and she's the main character of this movie, um, you know, like, but it's never but obviously like kind of that, that, that element is a big like part of it, but it's not necessarily the point of the movie it's not the only thing that happens you know her overcoming that is a, is a big thing um but the way that she does it is not like oh i gotta you know i gotta like smash the patriarchy i gotta you know make this a big the cause you know i gotta raise a protest or anything not that those are things that you shouldn't necessarily do but it's not it's not the point of this movie it's just showing a reality um and it's showing a but it's showing a reality as a 
kind of facet of a more interesting story, at least in my opinion. Oh no, totally agree. This is this is the place where it makes sense to fight this fight this fight. Yeah, um, yeah. It doesn't feel shoehorned in, uh, in at all. It feels like you're shining light on a very real aspect of the situation. So right. And this movie does have an attention to detail for like reality, right? It uses actual clips of Bill Clinton. That one where he's talking about like where they used for he's talking about the the first contact was him um, commenting on a meteorite that had fallen into Antarctica and they had discovered they had thought they had discovered fossils on it, although they, they turned out not to be true. But um, that happened like a couple like during the production of the movie and everyone who saw it was like, oh, my gosh, this is perfect. This is perfect. We need to use this. <laughs> Okay, so, so none of this, they didn't get Billy Boy to, to take time no. off of his, his job. And in and fact, the White House sent them a letter afterward and said, like, you guys can't be doing this. Because <laughs> <laughs> it looks so real. It looks great. There, are, I, can, I can see the edges a little bit, but when he's sitting there with them and they see it through the camera lens and everything, and they have a, they have a stand-in for him when he's walking off the stage, right? And he looks a little bit different than when he, how he really looks, but it's close. It's really good. And I mean, it's such an interesting idea to like not have a character actor play the president, you know, have Bill Clinton play himself unknowingly <laughs> in a movie. You know, it's pretty funny. Well, it's kind of cool. I mean, they, they, he's not the only one. We also have uh, my our, our favorite interviewer, uh, Mr. Larry King. He's out yeah. here. And Jay Leno makes an appearance as well. That's right. Which I yeah, think... I think it's cool. It really brings the concept home to show us what the real world would be like. Uh, because for some people, obviously, like they move outside of the facility, and this is something that is now defining their life. They're like, oh, you know, Jesus was an alien, and all these other things. You know, it's like yeah. now that they know about this, it changes everything. And for some people, it's just another night. It's just another, you know. Yeah, another thing to write jokes about. Yeah, it's just it's <laughs> life continues, and um, and. As far as uh, like thinking about what would happen if we had proof of alien contact, I think it's like a fun thing to, to theorize about. And I sure. think this is a realistic outcome from it. For some people, it would oh, shake yeah. their whole world up, and some people would be like, eh, whatever. <laughs> I'll see you when I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go start complaining with it. my neighbor's a vegan. <laughs> I, I think this movie does a better job of portraying the rest of the world um and reacting to first contact then arrival does arrival kind of makes the rest of the people as like a monolith and they're all very reactionary they're all like burning stuff down and everyone's like uh it's kind of chaos throughout the world but you don't you never see it directly um but this one shows like there's a lot of nuance to this a lot of people that are excited about it, a lot of people that are scared about it um and you that comes through in a lot of the characters that you see too that are are making prominent decisions in this movie so like I, I think that from that perspective, this movie does a better job of showing first contact than Arrival does. Well, they, I mean, this movie certainly has more faith in humanity. I mean, maybe the oh, yeah. U.S. government bureaucracy has its problems, but as far as <laughs> teaming up with other nations, it seems like they were pretty ready to do that, uh, yeah. which is good. I mean, one less frustration. I remember in Arrival being frustrated with how every country couldn't trust each other. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I, I mean, not that I don't think that's... I don't think that's inaccurate either. I think that is a, a realistic idea for what could happen for that too. Um, I mean, the the other thing that's, that's so interesting, I think, about this is that this movie was written by Carl Sagan. Uh, well, the, the book was written and then the was actually, there was a screenplay written by Carl Sagan um, and then it was assisted by his wife, um, Anne Druin, or at least be, a woman who became his wife, 
I don't think they were married when they first wrote it. Um, and it was a screenplay, and then it, did, it never really took off, so he wrote it as a book instead, and then they got adapted into a movie. And there was a lot of production issues going through it, but eventually they finished it a year after he died in 1996. Um, and so that, there's a dedication at the end. It says, for Carl. Um, but Carl Sagan was very critical of religion throughout his life. He was a science educator. Um, and this movie kind of shows that, like, a different side to that in a big in a really really nice way um it's he shows that morality doesn't come from your beliefs necessarily it has everything to do with intention there's there's like a there's like four like characters that kind of represent the four different aspects of this right someone who is good but believes in holy in silence someone who's bad but believes holy in silence science someone who um is good who believes in a religion and someone who's bad that believes in a religion and all of them kind of come to a head to show that there's a lot of nuance to this situation and that you know depending on you know where you went wrong in your life you could end up in, a, in the same place but with a, a, di a completely different intention and intending to do harm instead of intending to unite people um and i think that's just a really powerfully Interesting, powerful, and interesting message to have. So, okay, Han, can we can we label those four sure. uh, people? So, obviously, so, Ellie is good and believes in science. Yes, and McConaughey. And Drumlin, Drumlin is uh, bad, believes in science, believes in science. Okay, uh, he's 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 very cynical, right? He's like he's very much like out for his own good, and anytime he can, he inserts himself into the situation, right? He just shows up as soon as Ellie makes the, the discovery. He's always interrupting her during the presentations because he can answer the question before someone else can. You know, he's always trying to insert himself as the most important or the most knowledgeable in a situation, um, regardless of whether that's the right thing to do. Um, and he even says at the end that the world isn't fair, but Ellie retorts and says, you know, you're the one making it unfair. <laughs> um, and then there's uh, Palmer Joss, who is, you know, he's a moral person who believes in religion. Um, he kind of fell away from mainstream religion, which m may be falling into Carl Sagan's actual beliefs. But um, the the other guy that I, I'm referencing is the uh, the suicide bomber, the guy who's ah. the, radic the radical um, religious guy with the long blonde hair who ends up blowing up the, the first uh, machine. Um, and he is driven by his ideology to to do that. So, I I what I really like about this movie and the thing that really sticks with me is this like pursuit of truth and that they mention over and over again. You know, Ellie and Palmer are are shown at, at pursuing the same thing from opposite directions, and they can lead. And because of that, they lead human humanity toward a more harmonious and progressive society. They disagree at something that's very fundamental, but deeper than that, they agree on something. And although one is a woman of science and the other a man of religion, they can still love and appreciate each other. And ultimately, neither is shown to be 100% right. You know, faith needs science to explore the boundaries of what's possible, but science also needs faith to make those last steps towards something meaningful and profound. And I like to to have a movie that says that in such a way, especially when you like every time you watch a movie, it, the the you know, the ultra religious are always the bad guys. They're always the people that are shown to be, you know, the most ignorant or the most, um, you know, um, I don't even know what else to say, the most violent even. And, and you know, then you've got the, like, the Christian films, right, which don't 
portray like the agnostics or the atheists in a positive light either. They show them as being amoral people that don't care about anything. Um, and so you never, you never really see something where there's a religious person in a movie who is reasonable and who is also right. Um, and that, like, that just kind of doesn't happen. And to have this be a mainstream thing, uh, written by a scientist is, um, I don't know, mind blowing uh, just on that level. Well, I love how they, they turn it on Ellie and force her into a situation where faith is all she has, uh, even yeah. in a very scientific endeavor. Uh, earlier in the film, when she's talking to McConaughey at like the little event or gala or whatever, she's like, yeah. science revealed God never existed in the first place, which of course is like, you know, checkmate Christians. <laughs> but it's, but in the end, even through this like this experience where it's, it is supposed to be very scientific, I mean, they, they built this thing themselves. Uh, there's really no uh, influence from anybody else outside of humans building it. I mean, obviously the aliens sent them the instructions, but she, all she had left after this amazing experience that changed her life is her own faith that it really happened. Right. And uh, I think that's really a, a clever way to, to, to bring this thing all around because it did seem like they were clashing together and, and it's really hard to imagine a way for them to coexist, uh, especially with the way this movie puts them up against each other. But uh, the actual the way the movie is written, they find a way. Um, I, I actually uh, just speaking of the the how well written this movie is. When they asked her if you could only have one question for the aliens, what would you ask them? Like, what a tough question to ask. Uh, I was thinking that's like a that's like a, a silly speed dating question. It is. You know? Like, <laughs> but I felt like yeah. she answered it so well. We, yeah. Because she 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 said she'd ask how they advanced to that point without destroying themselves, which is such a good question. Yeah, especially like today, thinking about like how everything seems like it seems like the doomsday clock is moving closer and closer to midnight every day. You know, mm -hmm. it seems like everything is in constant chaos and everything could just fall apart in any moment. And it all seems like it's our fault. So, yeah, it, it is a great question. I agree. So, what would you, what would be your question? Um, <laughs> can I coffee hers? I mean, I don't know. Um, what are your memes like? Part of part of the reason why I was so impressed with her answer is how can you possibly have an answer to that question? Uh, because there's so much to know. Um, I, I, one of the things she brings up when they ask if this is just them building a bomb to destroy themselves, like that's, if that's what the director yeah, yeah. for, she's so right when she's like, they don't, they aren't threatened by us at all. Right. They wouldn't be sending us this if they wanted to destroy us. Uh, cause they, she even talks about, it's like, it would be the same thing as us destroying like an anthill in Africa or something. And they were like, microbes on an anthill. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're like, wouldn't we do that? Wouldn't that be so easy for us? We would definitely do that. It's like, no, you idiot. You're missing the whole point. It's that they wouldn't do it if they didn't want to. Like, it's, it's not something they're doing out of self defense or even because they're just like, even if they are violent, what a, what a weird way to express that violence to like search for something so tiny and insignificant. Um, so I don't know, as far as like being, uh, the logic in this movie, making sense and them having the answers to the hard questions, I think it, it does pull through, which does feel yeah. nice. Um, so <laughs> we were talking about this earlier, uh, before we started the episode, but the signal comes from the Vega, uh, what is it? System. Yeah, say a system, I think. Uh, <laughs> but it's so funny is it's spelled uh, like the first four letters of vegan. And uh, and they start referring to the people of Vega as the vegans, but it's spelled exactly like vegan. 
and, <laughs> and there's parts in the movie where the subtitles come up and I, you know, I read them as fast as they come up. You know, sometimes you just, you know, you can yeah, read yeah. faster. They say it. <laughs> They're like, we have to think like a vegan. And I was like, I read it. I was like, I have to think like a vegan. <laughs> where, where did this come from? <laughs> uh, it almost lost me for a second. Oh my gosh. The only thing that would be better is that there was a vegan character in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he talked about how vegan he was. Yeah, it's the third. That's like the third part. Uh, like we have God versus religion versus veganism. Vegans? <laughs> <laughs> and God and religion can both re- agree the vegans are the worst. They're like, are we going to pretend that it's a coincidence that the vegan system is the one responsible for this? I think we're onto yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's so funny uh, okay wait but um i my a more concrete question something that i hope that you okay. can actually provide an answer for because i i'm honestly th- this part of the movie threw me was who was mr haddon and what was his purpose outside of bankrolling obviously it kept the plot moving because he was bankrolling our main character but who is this guy and why was he there and why did he die i don't know it was so from what I understand, he was like, he was going to die. He had cancer when he first met Ellie, or like late stage cancer. He went into space to keep it from um, happening, so that he like keep himself from dying because the low gravity apparently would keep him from being uh, getting sick faster. I don't know how no, that no, works. No, no, no. It was the low oxygen was keeping the cancer oh, okay. from eating him. Well, he couldn't. He didn't have to go to space to do that. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but um. Um, yeah, as far as I know, like he, it, that question is never really answered. He's just some sort of like rich guy. He's like Elon Musk 50 years from now, you know, <laughs> like he's just some like eccentric billionaire who's made all of these like, uh, smart investments throughout his life. And now he has all these enemies. Um, and so he's just constantly on the run essentially. Well, he, he had like, I don't know, he, he, his parts of the movies felt his, parts in the movie felt less real than like the mm. alien parts of it because the he's like monologuing in front of this television screen that is like showing pictures from ellie's past but there yeah. it's obviously a video playing he's not like switching slides so he's timed up his monologue to sync with the video which is very impressive so obviously this guy spends a lot of time doing these preparations and and being yeah, very rehearsing yeah being very <laughs> dramatic uh which is bizarre and then maybe he has somebody else in the other room uh, switching the slides for him what maybe because he definitely he says lights and the lights turn out so somebody was listening or he had like the clap on kind of thing but yeah instead, but it's just lights yeah just he says lights <laughs> it would suck if you were talking about like a boxing match or something you're like, knock his lights out. Yeah. And the lights go off. That's <laughs> like, not what I meant. Well, he's probably so careful about his conversations. He makes sure. He, he obviously plans yeah, he ahead. Avoids around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Runs around it. Um, yeah, well, he, I mean, he, I don't know if you saw, but that ship that they're on when they're um, uh, like doing the second the second uh, machine, right? Yeah. And they're like on that cruise ship. That ship on the side of it says Haddon on it. So like he's he's bankrolling this whole thing. I just, I guess, I'm looking for more from him. He also dies kind of at a weird time. Like, they just show him getting zipped into a body bag in Russian space. Right. Well, there's well, that's implied. They're talking about him on the TV, right? And they're implying that his hoax or whatever was completed and his life's work is done. So now he's, uh, you know, he can die in peace. Yeah. And it does definitely. That, that, uh, 
what's his name there? James Woods goes full uh, conspiracy theorist there at the end. Yeah, but he also turns like Occam's razor, razor back on um, on Ellie, right? Because really, what is more what is more reasonable to think? You know, is this a he has? You can tell that he has access to like advanced um, scientific equipment. He could easily fake a, um, you know. A message like that and of course he's the only one who could solve it right like he made the puzzle a little too hard it's like you're in an escape room and you don't know how to do it so you call for a hint and he comes down from his plane and gives you a hint it's a three-dimensional ellie <laughs> that's true uh, yeah that is true there's a lot of evidence for that too and i think like, oh wait that... so are we actually supposed to be convinced that this potentially didn't happen well that's okay there's my one big problem with this movie and and i didn't think it was a problem until i was thinking about it this week was that they kind of give you an answer about whether what happened to Ellie was real or not. Yeah, because of the 18 hours of static. Right. But if they if that wasn't in there, I, I really think this movie would actually benefit from leaving it more vague yeah. and saying, you don't know, and you have to make a decision for yourself. Because that argument would, of course, spawn so much to talk about, but also would kind of solidify like what you're seeing through this movie. Because... Well, I love it when movies set up a situation and then the main character goes through something that's impossible and other people find like it is find it unbelievable because from your perspective, you're right where they're with them. You want to believe them. But if you had just heard it from outside, you would have been just as skeptical as everyone else. So seeing like seeing it all through, through Ellie's eyes and then having you at the last minute doubt her. That's a great twist. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I, I I didn't really realize it until now, but I was so convinced that it did happen that all the opposition just seemed frustrating. Uh, obviously, yeah. yeah, I can see it from their perspective where she just drops through and whatever, but she has also been right about so much to this point. It's tough for, to just drop off belief completely and be like, this has been, aha. Like, even though, here's the thing, even though you got instructions from space and we built the thing, now we're going to suddenly say it's unbelievable that something happened while you're dropping through that yeah, thing yeah. like come on but i know that on top of that not only did i see her do it but i also know that the 18 hours of static confirms my suspicions that this did happen so yeah i think sure. you're right had they left that out uh, i think i'd be doubting my own perception a little bit more which may add to the intrigue i mean i want to say you know hashtag I, we believe ellie yeah <laughs> i believe <laughs> hashtag with ellie it's uh so I don't know. I, I think you're right. If I if a minor change, but yeah, and honestly, like paying attention to that to that scene, like it it's easy it's easily I have to read the books because I, I, I don't know, but it's easy to believe that they that's a reshoot, you know, because James Woods is on the computer, um, and then what's her name is in there. It's like they're two not as important characters, you know. It's po it's totally possible that um they uh. They put that in there in the last minute effort to leave people with a less vague answer because movie studios are known to do that. I believe it. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's that's actually how it worked or if that was in the original intention, um, but it is certainly something to think about. Okay. Uh, I think we're ready for our quotable moments. So okay. let's go ahead and get this first one. You're a priest? No, not really. I, uh, Got my master's in divinity. Then I dropped out of seminary and went off and did some secular humanitarian work, coordinating efforts with third world churches. Couldn't live with the whole celibacy thing. You could, um, you could call me a man in a cloth without the cloth. Want to get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
And this, I okay. This happens right before they go out and start looking at the stars together, and then McConaughey mm-hmm. drops a yeah uh, the quote that we played at the beginning, uh, which is yeah. the same thing that Ellie's dad used to always say, which was like, "If it is just us, seems like an awful waste of space." And this is where my whole he's too smooth uh, con comes in, where I think it's he's too smooth because, dude, this would not work. <laughs> his argument, he's saying that he's a man of God. He went to seminary and his big like thing against being a priest was that he couldn't commit to celibacy. Basically, he's like, yeah, I would be a priest, except I like having sex too much. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, really? Want to get out of here? Like, what? What? <laughs> If it wasn't McConaughey, this would be totally unbelievable. But this is him, like, it's McConaughey. But she was already charmed by him. Leaking but then into the she, character. Then she was turned off when she learned he was a priest. You could see that in her expression. When she learned he was, he was a priest, she was like, ah, oh, man, you know. And then, you know, as soon as she learns that, you know, as soon as she learns that he's all about that, you know, all about that life. He's all, <laughs> all about that sex. Yeah, he's all about getting in the sack, his cloth sack. He, uh, he's... I I mean, it was very cavalier of him to go about this uh, in this way, which, you know what, fine. It, it works for him. He's got game. You're, you know? you're saying he's like those pranksters on YouTube that yes, uh, yes. Let, yeah, uh, actually, pay girls to have to, to kiss them on the street. I'm glad that's what you brought up because that's a great example. It's like guys on YouTube who are like, all right, bros, today we're going to be picking up chicks. It's the, <laughs> I used to be a priest prank. And we're going <laughs> to... We're going to tell chicks that we used to be priests, but we like sex too much, and then they're going to sleep with us. And it, and it does it. And then guys watching this movie are like, oh, okay, that's how it's done then. I just have to, I have to tell girls that like I would go after my life goals, except I'm just too committed to having sex all the time, and then they'll want to sleep with me. This is perfect. Oh, oh, and if you can't, if that's not enough to seal the deal, make sure you quote their dead father verbatim right before you kiss them, because that'll really get them going. <laughs> Uh, I mean, all right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just had, I just, that's how I felt about McConaughey. Right, He's very, I, you know what, I, I will let you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very smooth, uh, smooth criminal in this one, and uh, I don't think I could use the same lines in real life. I guess that's what I'm just trying to get. No, across. but you're also not Matthew McConaughey, so that's so true. Nothing you've said has ever been truer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got my next one. Ellie, I know it's hard to understand this now, but we aren't always meant to know the reasons why things happen the way they do. Sometimes we just have to accept it as God's will. I should have kept some medicine in the downstairs bathroom. Then I could have gotten to it sooner. So this is um, the kind of the beginning of Ellie's arc. Um, this is right after her father dies of a heart attack. Um, she uh, is talking to the priest, and the priest uh, is trying to comfort her by saying, like, you know, we, no, we can't always find the answers for things, uh, which, of course, is kind of counterintuitive or like counter to Ellie's own beliefs, right? Even at that age, she believes that, um, that anything can be figured out, um, that even the dead can be contacted if you just try hard enough. Um, and it's... Um, you know, a, a testament to kind of her single-mindedness that she carries this on into her into her life. But then, of course, when she has that religious experience um, while going through the wormhole, um, this is all kind of flipped on her head, and she has to kind of accept that 
you know, it doesn't make any sense, right? Um, why would they come here and not give me any evidence? It's like, that's just the way it is. And we can't explain it. It's just the way we do it. Um, and she kind of has to take that, that, uh, lesson again. What I also like, really like about the scene is the way it's directed. Um, first she's sitting on the, the porch, right? With her, like her, her, um, her knees to her chest and the priest comes down and kind of like, is kind of looking down at her. Like he's kind of like leaning on her, uh, on his, on his knees to talk to her. And then after she says this line, she stands up. And um, she's then taller than the priest, uh, kind of giving you like, oh, she thinks the priest is talking down to her, but then she talks down to the priest. It's pretty cool. Well, I agree. This, I'm so glad you brought this quote up because I think it's super important because in the moment, basically what the priest is saying, I mean, not exactly like this, but essentially he's yeah. saying it was God's will for your dad to die this way. And obviously from her perspective, that sounds like an awful deal. What, what kind of cruel God kills my dad for no reason? And then I, all I have to do is, oh, it's his will. That's I just had to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but her childhood was every, I mean, everything that we saw from her childhood was building her into the person that she ended up being and even having her father be the representation for the alien in the end brought this whole thing to a close where it, it proves yeah maybe this maybe maybe you don't want to say it's god or whatever it is this was clearly planned for her uh to have all these things happen to her when she was a child uh to make it possible for her to achieve what she did as an adult so yeah. it, it it was you know, whether you want to call it God, whether you want to call it fate, or even like the aliens, you know, influencing, whatever you want to call it, it was for a reason. Yes. And I think there's a lot of this movie that's like set up for coincidence, right? Where like the whole compass thing, right? Where she, the compass gets away from her while she's in the, um, in the ball, whatever, the sphere. And then she gets out of her chair and then grabs the compass. And then as soon as she does that, the chair is like, like violently thrown around the cabin um, and like implying that she would have been hurt if she, if she had stayed in the chair, you know? Oh, it's perfect because she said, <laughs> yeah. she said earlier to McConaughey that he should hold on to the compass because it could end up saving his life and he gives it back and it right. ends up saving hers. And so the textbook set of payoffs. <laughs> and she said there was no instructions to put a harness inside of the transport. Yep. And she was exactly right. But even like Drumlin dying in the first test, right? If she had actually made it through that first thing, if if Palmer hadn't um, interfered, then you know, um, which I feel like, I still feel like he did the right thing, even if he did it for the wrong reasons. Um, she she would have died on that on that thing, and then you know this wouldn't maybe hadn't wouldn't have told her about or anyone about the second machine. You know that would have sat in, in dormance. So I don't know that all of this. There's a lot of things in this movie that like all kind of lead up to coincidence that like pressure Ellie be, to be the one that goes and visits the vegans and, or the vegans. Um, and, um, and I really, really like that part because it kind of shows there's this guiding hand in her life. Um, and you're left kind of questioning where that comes from. The vegans could be vegan. It's true. Don't see me to meet. <laughs> <laughs> don't, impl don't, yeah, don't imply. <laughs> okay. Next quote. I read your book. Here we go. Would you like me to quote you? Ironically, uh, the thing that people are the most hungry for, meaning, is the one thing that science hasn't been able to give them. Yeah. So this is a quote um, from Joss uh, talking about uh, his own beliefs in science. Um, and I think this in uh, combination with the quote where he's talking on the talk show, I think he's talking to Larry King. He's talking about his book um, and he shows how he says in there that the human's pursuit of science is unable to fill a hole that we all have and like technology um, may 
provide a lot of convenience in our life, but it doesn't give us meaning. Um, and instead, we have to look elsewhere for truth. And there's this other quote, um, which uh, is from Drumlin, which I think kind of contra not contradicts, but kind of feeds into this whole idea. <clears throat> he says, Science must first and foremost be accountable to the people who are paying for it, the taxpayers. We need to stop wasting money on pie-in-the-sky abstractions and start spending it on practical, measurable ways to improve the lives of the people who are, after all, footing the bill. What this reminds me of is, like, the, the, I'm coming back to the allegory of the cave because I one of my favorite metaphors. Um, and in there, I, I, I can't ever find any evidence for this, but it's I, I've always heard that scientists and engineers never make it out of the cave. They make it to the edge of the cave and they see like how things truly are and then they return back into the cave to keep people comfortable because they think oh there's a better way to do this now i can make now i can make everyone more comfortable back there they don't see that the end goal is for everyone to leave the cave wait can you can, think, just for listeners who maybe don't sure. aren't familiar with the allegory of the cave can you briefly summarize it i can try and briefly summarize it so imagine that there's a bunch of people in a cave um, they're chained to um, like inside of it and they're chained so that they can't move or look anywhere except for right in front of them. And there's a big shadow, a big wall that has shadows on it. And the shadows are manipulated by people that are sitting behind them. And they think that that's their whole world. Eventually, one of them breaks free and then makes it out and sees uh, out, out of the cave and sees the real world and all the things that the shadows are, are based off of um, and sees how everything truly is. Um, and that's a very painful experience. Yeah, like um, actually the, seeing light is blinding and, and extremely right, painful. Right. Um, but once you get used to it, you can never go back. But a lot of some people, philosophers, they say, go back into the cave to try and bring more people in, out. But in doing so, they become blinded again because it's so dark in there and the people down there don't trust um, them. So it's a, a very difficult process throughout. And so, yes, the, the like scientists and engineers... Uh, they go so far as to make it to the edge of the cave to see outside and then turn right back around to make things more comfortable. And Drumlin's uh, quote here reminds me of that, of where, like, oh, we should be giving people what they want, not what they need, uh, which is kind of like not the, the the idea of science. Science is meant to go into the unknown, to look for pie-in-the-sky abstractions, you know, making um, giant leaps of logic. Uh, to try and and try to prove those things, and you can see that um, with Ellie too, right? And she actually quotes, or at least references, some um, other pioneers in the science industry. You know, people making like the Wright players with their airplane, or people going to the moon with the Apollo missions. So, um, all of that kind of feeds into this idea of like, what is the purpose of science? Is science the like, is the purpose to you know? Um, improve the lives of people around us or to answer these questions that we've all been uh, wondering about. Right, especially because McConaughey brings up his kind of crit criticism of technology and consumerism and how yeah. coming up with brand new stuff to make us quote-unquote happy isn't necessarily the best endeavor when you're using science. Sometimes it makes sense to find objective truths and apply those as opposed to being trying to answer a certain question like how to entertain millions of people or how do i find a way that you know i can make something people will buy right yeah exactly and i mean i think these kind of go hand in hand and of course you know uh palmer's uh conclusion is that religion is going to fill that void um and it's ellie disagrees and thinks that science can still answer those deep questions but in the end i mean it seems like neither are, are quite adequate on their own. I understand. Um, what I meant to say 
is that the message was written in the language of science. Now, if it had been religious in nature, it should have taken on the form of a burning bush or a big booming voice from the sky. But a voice from the sky is exactly what you found, Dr. Arroway. The, this is uh, um, Palmer Joss again being as smooth as possible, <laughs> inserting himself into that uh, like uh, boardroom or whatever they were talking um, in the White House. Um, he had a way of just turning up throughout this ah, film. Man. He just he's great. He just showed, oh, here he is again. <laughs> he's so great. Yeah, this is. Uh, I really like this too because again, they're kind of conflating the t- like religion and science. They're showing how actually similar they are, um, and and he's exactly right. You know, uh, Ellie is saying though we shouldn't be focusing on the religious aspect of the aliens or you know whether they believe in God or not. That's irrelevant. Um, but. Um, Palmer's like he's hinting I guess maybe at the end of this film of uh, that where Ellie had that religious experience that there is a there was a voice from the sky um, it came you know from space um, and you captured it and in breaking news Major John Russell a former astronaut considered to be the leading American candidate for the machine seat has unexpectedly dropped out of the running Russell met with reporters this afternoon at his Houston home I told my dad that I didn't want him to go. Daddy, don't go. Uh, Nothing would give me more pride than to represent my country. But what can I say to this? This kid. I hate this kid. You hate this (laughs) kid? Yes. Told his dad he can't go in the most important mission of humanity's, like, in humanity's history. You know, dude. Okay, oh, his dad definitely. Go. His dad definitely put him up to it. By the way. Oh, do you think so? Yeah, this dad's chickening out. He's the uh, Captain Foley of this movie, <laughs> letting his letting his kid answer the questions for him. Yes. Okay. It's so obvious. This guy chickened out, and he's like, "Well, people are gonna definitely let me off the hook if I let my kid cry on national television." Because <laughs> especially after that, they like they an- have the kid answer the question. They give him the microphone. He's like, well, "What am I supposed to say to that?" Like, obviously, every every mission you go on dude is dangerous you know like your kids just it's, it's something they have to get used to if you're just highly trained astronaut candidate guy you know yeah, yeah. so I, I don't buy it i think this guy was chickening out he is a he's definitely a foley <laughs> i like that i like that theory better i guess a little more depth to this because i was just hating on that kid <laughs> no the kid has the kid's too young to know what he's doing dude uh it's all right, all it's right. all on his dad who should have just said honestly listen i'm too scared <laughs> all right okay i've got the next quote ellie i know you must think this is all very unfair maybe that's an understatement what you don't know is i agree i wish the world was a place where fair was the bottom line where the kind of idealism you showed at the hearing was rewarded not taken advantage of unfortunately we don't live in that world You have actually brought this up before on the podcast where uh, people say they people use that the fact or the idea that the world isn't fair or life isn't fair as an excuse to do something unfair. And that's a horrible excuse. You're just saying that you're just being a dick and then trying not to be responsible for it. And this is a really good example of it because I don't think that we were really ever shown any evidence that uh, Drumlin is 
religious until there's an opportunity where being religious gives him an advantage. Exactly. And uh, he's and he just takes he does he takes full advantage of that, especially when it makes someone who stood on her ideals or her beliefs or lack thereof uh, it puts her in a negative place. So yeah. It's I thought I don't know as soon as he said that and she gave him this witty retort where she's like oh I I, I thought that basically she says what you says like oh I, really I thought you were just being a dick because you didn't have to do that no one made you do that it's not because the world is the way it is you yeah. just did that because you're a bad person yeah I mean I completely agree and this is I mean this is such a beautiful way of turning it about um, and I I do really like the scene because it kind of shows that Drumlin does have a bit of humanity in him you know he does. He's aware of what he's doing and how he's harming people, and he's willing to admit, yeah, I am just selfish, you know? Like, I I kind of appreciate it from that because it, I gave him a little more depth besides him just being, a, like, a dick the whole time. And, I mean, like, Ellie, I, I like using, like, the term rival because she doesn't she she's very frustrated with him. I don't know, but she don't know if she hates him, right? When she sees that his life is in danger, she does everything in her power to save him. And, I mean, it's too late, too little too too late, but still, like... It shows that like she does have a respect for him, even if she he's constantly trying to screw her over. Well, yeah, I think that only helps to bolster her position because she's wholly good. She yeah. treats him as a superior in her field, like she she has to, I guess. Uh, but she does she shows no ill will towards him the whole time, which makes every time he betrays her that much worse. Because it's like, why are you doing this? You're doing this totally out of your own self interest with no empathy for anybody else. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, not a big fan of that guy, but we'll talk about him a little <laughs> bit more later. But uh, here's our final quote. You're an interesting species. An interesting mix. You're capable of such beautiful dreams. And such horrible nightmares. You feel so lost. So cut off. So alone. Only you're not. See, in all our searching, the only thing we've found that makes the emptiness bearable is each other. And I thought this was an interesting review of humanity, uh, mainly because <laughs> I kind of hoped all species were like this. Um, that's our thing, is that we're great and awful at the same time. I, I kind of felt like that would... You could probably say that about any... He doesn't say like, that, like... He doesn't say that that's very... That were very unique, though. Well, he says it, was, it, it makes us interesting, but I bet they say this to all the species. I bet you they say this to all the new species. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, maybe maybe it's not as uh, deep as I thought it was, but, um, I mean, I, I just thought it was, it's like, what, what do aliens think of us? And it's uh, kind of vague. It's just we're, we're good and we're bad. We're capable of good stuff. Like, I guess the jury is still out on humanity yeah well what you don't see is that you know ellie's dead dad is actually just an elaborate phone tree from space and you just answer the right questions and then he like you know he just gives you those answers and they're all very vague and you'll get to you'll get sent to a real representative in due time just put if you're on hold right now so can i speak to a representative like please be patient this is the way it's been done for billions of years <laughs> the, the whole time could be billions of years yeah <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I I guess I was hoping for more meaning from this, but it does seem. I think the uh, phone tree generic answer may be exactly what this is. Yeah, but I mean, it is the, the that's the whole thing. Is like it all of this is vague, you know, and that's what's so, that's what I really like about this 
whole sequence and then her coming back is that when you you go through this whole journey and she's just like rocketed around through space and she sees all these things and then she ends up on this beach that she that, that's that she drew when she was a young child and then her dad shows up it's all very like emotionally resonant um for you the viewer but also for ellie right um and but they don't give you anything so when she shows up with no evidence and she has nothing to show for it clearly she's been she's been shook and she's been changed by it but they haven't given her anything or they haven't given anything to indicate any sort of significance to anyone else it's only proving that they can do this to ellie that's true and, it's and, cool. and also the 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 um it has a hopeful message in it as well as the like yeah the emptiness is only bearable if we have each other well we already have each other so maybe we don't need to you know yeah but we forget about that like that's that's the whole perspective thing you know and having the world unite over a common project is like such a dream for everyone um you know that's like the whole thing in watchmen is like they're trying to get everyone to unite so they attack earth pretending it's aliens so like um to have you know to say like oh we like what what you what the real contact was the friends you made along the way like that's the, <laughs> that's the message we need to take away that's beautiful joy actually um just talking about like what would it be like if we had this utopian earth and everyone was together have you ever seen that simpsons reference where they're like can you imagine a world without lawyers and uh no. and it's everyone like all like this ethnically diverse circle of people holding hands and like the sun is shining and they're walking in a circle and this this the lawyer who's imagining that is like oh like it's like a, a, hor <laughs> a horrible future he can't even he like shudders at the thought of <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny uh, okay that ends our quote section joey i think you know what time it is it is time for us to go a little deeper deeper are you going to go first? Yes, I have the first part of this. And uh, so we've, we've touched a little bit on it to this point, but I think this uh, this film does a good job of representing what it's like to be an undervalued woman in a STEM field. And I'm going to play this quick clip, uh, with which I think is a pretty good example of it. Within the layering of the matrix, we have these basic equations. So with this very elementary foundation, they've given us a kind of general scientific vocabulary. We now have the symbols for true and false. This was the key, to put it simply, that allowed us to decipher their language for physics, geometry, chemistry. Next frame, Ellie. So I think this is, again, a, a tasteful aspect of this film uh, that is done. It, it brings light to an important situation, which is women not being trusted to be as smart or to be in charge when it comes to something that's considered like a man's field, like science or uh, I guess astrology, any of the STEM fields I feel like come with this stereotype. Yeah. And even like when they show the same passion as their male colleagues being like, like put down as being like shrill or crazy. Uh, for that still talking to little green men you know that kind yeah, of like yeah. just not taking them seriously um, but I think our our protagonist Ellie does a good job of fighting against this and, and showing as like a uh, an example of how you should do this because she doesn't let it affect her she continues to be just as tenacious and just as uh, you know in your face and, and trying to get her way she doesn't just give up and this is the way things are she she tries to push towards uh, being respected and being well represented and I think maybe these guys aren't going away. These guys who talk over women and these guys who, uh, you know, mansplain and manterrupt their way through the STEM field. But I think 
with proper representation like this in film and places where it is it is palatable. I don't think that anybody's going to disagree with the way that, that she was treated here being unfair uh, when they watch this film. And I, I hopefully the perception around it will be guys that mansplain and interrupt like this aren't good people and we shouldn't listen to them and we should maybe say, hey, she was talking. Yeah, you know, exactly. Let her finish. Because this is, I mean, especially this this clip that we just played, she was obviously mid-sentenced, and he just kind of yeah. jumps in to say the same thing she was going to say. Well, not only that, but she was the only one who understood this problem that they've been trying to solve for weeks, you know? And, like, they're not even going to let her have the, like, let her stand in front of them and, and say, like, what she found and, like, blow their minds. Like, this guy has to come in and read the report a little bit sooner and then just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's how it's done, you know? I figured it out. I know how it works. Yeah. That's obvious. And, I, like, and it's been who are you fooling? it's I mean, we've been told, I mean, honestly, I'm a man and I, I hope that I don't subconsciously do this, but I just think that uh, the, the times are changing and hopefully this type of thing uh, will be viewed how it should be viewed, which is as something that's sure. toxic. I mean, um, this movie does pass the Bechdel test, actually. There is at least one conversation where she's talking to another woman about a dress, not about a man. Nice. So I don't know. It's it's close, I guess. I don't know like how important that is. Probably not important at all, but it's just interesting. She is the only woman kind of in her field, though. She's kind of surrounded by men. Um, but I mean, again, I think that's accurate. Like, which is kind of this film's, um, you know, message, really. Oh yeah, I, I think it's accurate. As a member of the STEM community, there's definitely less women out here than than dudes. Trust me yeah. on that. Uh, so I think it's very normal to be you know, a woman in a field that's very crowded with just men. So I, I, I don't know. I just, I thought that the whole, the way that they portrayed men who don't respect women in this field and just the, like the experience that a talented woman has to go through in this field, I think is important and done extremely well in this film. Me too. Okay. One of the things I want to talk about is uh, they say in this movie that um, 95% of the world is religious, um, or believes in some sort of higher power, which I thought was like very high, like much higher than I expected. Um, and I, I looked it up actually to see if it was, I found a, a, a poll from Pew forum, which I believe is like a religious site, but I, I couldn't find any other good evidence for this. Um, this in 2012, they did a big, uh, survey and they found that, um, a little bit less than uh, 16.5% of people are unaffiliated or um, unreligious. Um, and uh, so that, and that implies like anyone else who believes in a, uh, who's affiliated with a religion, but also believes in some sort of higher power, um, even if they're not practicing, um, is around 84%. So it's, it is a very high number. And the number has been going down over the last couple of years. Millennials are less likely to be part of a um, religious group than anyone else, but they are. And a little bit less likely to believe in a higher power, but it's a little bit less subtle. It's a little more subtle. Um, but um, as far as like, so the trend is going down. So from 1997, it's possible to believe that this number was as high as or a little bit less than 95%. Well, I just think there's times in this film where it's like, science is not our God. <laughs> oh, God. And then like the, the crowd is chanting like, Praise God! Praise God! Yeah, like, well, they're doing that in like a like a like a monotone like yeah. Praise God! It's like really creepy. You know, yeah. There, there, are, there are certainly 
aspects of organized religion that are not shown favorably in this movie. Oh, yes. Which is consistent with, I think, Carl Sagan's own beliefs. But a religion in general or belief in God in general is shown as something actually positive. Mm. Okay, so um, and that's actually what I want to talk about next is science and religion. Is uh, um, So there really are two sides of the same same uh, excuse me they really are two sides of the same coin like they really don't contradict i've always heard science tells us how the heavens go but religious religion tells us why the heavens go um and this movie does a lot to show how similar these two pursuits are um for example um they call um uh, what's her name ellie the high priestess of the desert because uh, she's doing all this eccentric stuff. She's listening to washing machines and staring at static. She sounds like a crazy person. Um, Joss uses Einstein relativity to try to convince Ellie to stay, um, which is kind of an interesting, you know, he's trying to appeal, trying to reach across the aisle, you could say. Um, the <laughs> compass is like a symbol, but also a tool. It's a symbol for direction um, in her life, and it actually ends up saving her life. But of course, the compass is a scientific in instrument. So having that... Um, serve dual purposes there it's kind of an interesting motif um ellie of course has a lot of faith in the vegans she actually says like uh, in, in an interview that um she trusts them to have built something sound um and she puts her full faith in that and you know she's not going in there and checking the specs herself she's just believing that they know what they're doing which i don't think that that's that bad of a uh, conclusion to come to you know obviously sure. they're more advanced than us yeah um, and then, of course, her vision at the end, um, you know, is kind of it's, it is very religious. And like I mentioned, it's very much tailored toward her. Um, so it's very impactful for her, um, but not so much for other people. And uh, having her relate it back to other people, it creates kind of a division in our country about whether they believe her or not, um, which is a, a certain like divisiveness is certainly an aspect of religion and science. So. Um, yeah, I, I really like how they've conflated these two things together. I think there's a lot of like really great um, symbolism and metaphors in this movie. One more thing I want to talk about is uh, SETI false alarms. So these are um, times that we thought there was a message from aliens and it turned out we were wrong. Okay, one of, like in real one life. Of, yes. And one of them in 1998, somebody found that when you leave a mic, when you open a microwave before it like finishes its cycle, it will cause a spike that will be registered on like the SETI, like on the big telescopes, not, not a, uh, or, or satellite dishes, not any microwave, just the microwave they had in their break room. <laughs> <laughs> they were able to pinpoint that down. So there was a, there was a kind of a false alarm. They're like, where's the signal coming from? Can't figure it out. 2.4 gigahertz. That's exactly the same as a microwave. <laughs> in 1960, they discovered, um, like a regular repeating pattern of, of radio signals. Um, and they thought it might've been evidence of, um, aliens sending some sort of signal. Turns out it was actually the first pulsar that they ever discovered. And pulsars are essentially these big, they're kind of like stars, but they're really just like um, these things that spin really, really fast and they send out electromagnetic frequencies in kind of a large range. And one of them is radio signals that we pick up. So we'll, we interpret that as like very regular signals coming from outer space in specific areas. That's such a sci-fi word to use for that, pulsar. Well, when they first called, found it, they called it the um, LGM, LGM-1 for Little Green Man. <laughs> so <laughs> I prefer Pulsar, personally. <laughs> There's also things called quasars, which um, like are similar to Pulsars um, that are 
uh, they're like very very fast spinning uh, like things of uh of gas and and they they're extremely bright they're like way way brighter than our like a regular star um but they're the, the closest ones are so far away you can't see them with your naked eye so but they're they're also set off um regular intervals of electromagnetic radiation and um cause people to think there's maybe aliens also not directly related to um a SETI, but there was these two guys, Penzeus and Wilson, um, who were studying empty space, and they ended up um, finding out. They had ended up making key discoveries in discovering the Big Bang and like the results of the Big Bang. Um, but during that process, they were trying to eliminate all like extra noise. And one of the things they did was go into their big, um, what's it called? Into their big like uh, telescope or or like funneling machine big giant funnels essentially what it is to that they were using to listen to things um and they went in there to see if there was anything in there that was messing, making any noise and they found some pigeons that were living in there and they weren't able to get rid of them they ended up having to shoot them <laughs> because they kept coming back <laughs> the last thing i want to talk about is the signal from 1977 was, they call it the wow signal um wow. it's very famous yes exactly it's very famous because uh uh, when the guy first, when the, one of the lead researchers first uh, found it written out, he circled a key part of it and wrote "Wow" in the margins, <laughs> with the exclamation point. <laughs> so that's what it's called. Um, and this is a signal that came from space that no one's ever been able to replicate. And there's a lot of different um, uh, theories as to what it is, whether it's aliens or not. Um, but we've never been able to find another example of it. Um, but it's our most compelling, or at least. Um, the biggest unanswered question as far as messages from space. Wow. What if that's just like the YouTube comments of the of the cosmos? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. There's like an alien that just came by, <laughs> took a look at Earth and was like, wow. And, like, and then kept cruising, you know? Yeah, just just one alien meme. Yeah. He's like, oh, this comment section is still, still empty. <laughs> wow. First. Yeah, first. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <sighs> All right. Uh, you ready to move on to our ratings? Let's do it. Do you want to go first or want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. I okay. give this movie three hilarious Jay Leno late night jokes about aliens <laughs> <laughs> that still hold up today. That's high praise. Wow. <laughs> Jay Leno. <laughs> I give this movie approximately 18 hours of quiet reflection. Very nice. Very nice. We all know what happened. You know, those 18 yeah, hours. Yeah. We all know what happened. Very important. Um, okay. <laughs> Well, that does it for contact. Um, what a crazy science journey, dude. I, yes. I'm getting more into these genres of films that um, make you think more than they show you things, which obviously this movie had plenty to show. Um, yeah. But my whole perception of what a alien movie can be has shifted drastically uh, since we started watching these alien movies on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's why I love sci-fi is like this exploration of different ideas, you know, taking something uh, either whether that's psychological or technological and then taking it to its logical conclusion. And that's the stuff I find most fascinating, most interesting. And there's some movies that do it extremely well. And this is one of them. All right. Well, what are we doing next? Next movie we're doing is John Wick. Two. Yes. And uh, this movie, we're going to do the similar to the way that we did our Shrek two uh episode where we're going to be viewing it from the perspective of someone who has seen the first one so right we're gonna re-watch john wick and then watch john wick two and then we'll talk about mostly john wick two but obviously with the knowledge that you get from the first one and this is all because i really want to watch john wick three and i haven't seen john wick two so <laughs> i have to playing catch up 
Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get that taken care of. But okay, I think that does it for this episode. Uh, so for Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you have a question, comment, or want to request something for us to talk about, you can reach us at our Twitter account, at AffableChat, or our email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.